How's it going, everybody? Welcome into episode number six of the College Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Ezra Janello. We're a day late this week for the second half of the MAZCAC season preview, but that's all right. We're getting an interview and an episode out anyway. And speaking of the interview, it's a great one this week, something that's very important to me, someone who's very important to me. My broadcasting partner the past two years, Tyler Arego, here at Franklin Pierce University. He graduated last year in the class of the coronavirus. Um, but for me, for the past two years, he, he has been my mentor and, and getting me into broadcasting. I spoke two episodes ago, episode four, about coaches who make the game of hockey for us very fun. They just make coming to the rink that much better and, and, and helping us progress as a hockey player and really are a big part of why we're still involved in the game today. Tyler, for me, is is that coach. Uh, moving into my s- freshman year f- of college, fresh off a of shoulder surgery, first year not playing hockey in a very, very long time. No teammates, no built-in best friends on campus, and he was there. He told me about this broadcasting thing that we do here at Franklin Pierce and that he needed a new color commentator for the hockey season, and I was his man with all the hockey experience that I had. But he's been my mentor. He's been... Uh, uh, really showed me the ropes the past couple of years. But like I said, class of the coronavirus, he graduated. So I'm by myself now at Franklin Pierce. But I'm d- that does not mean we stopped talking, had to get him on the podcast. So a really important interview for me this week. But a nice, short, sweet section of hockey talk before that. We've got three teams in the MAZCAC, the last three teams in the conference a season ago, Salem State, Worcester State, and Framingham State. So the first school, Salem State, last year, not a great year in conference. Four wins, nine losses, five ties. Overall, they still only had those four in-conference wins, 15 total losses, and seven ties. So if there's something that there's a, a good takeaway from the season, I think there's always something good to take out of every situation. It's that they did a good job of pushing games past the third period, getting into overtime and getting at least one point out of every game, but not the season they wanted to have last year for the Vikings. They're not losing a ton to graduation. They're not losing a a crazy amount in terms of points. They are losing their leading goal scorer, their leading point getter in a defenseman of Colum Hofford, number 13. He played 26 games last year, six goals, 13 assists for 19 points. It's something I really like to see. I, I had a, a conversation with my roommate about positionless basketball, and, and he made a comment about positionless hockey in the future, and I think that's never going to happen. You're always going to have to have those stay-at-home D-men. You're going to have to have those somewhat bigger bodies on the back end, but Hofford, he found a way to get in on the offensive end of the ice, get some pucks, find his open teammates up on the other end. So they're losing a good point getter in him. Other than that, not a ton of point production. They were not very good last year in special teams, at least on the man advantage, a 147 percentage, a 14.7% on the power play, but doing pretty well on the back end on the penalty kill and even 80% on the season. So special teams for them, they might have wanted to keep it five on five for as long as possible, but things next year, they're looking pretty good. They've got three guys coming in. All forwards, of course, is on elite prospects. So not the most reliable website, but it makes my job that much easier. And one of the guys I want to talk about is a New Jersey man, David Sikak. 
I think it is. He's uh he's from Russia. Uh, well, what was Ru- Russia and Slovakia and the United States from Roselle Park, New Jersey. The 1999 forward is not crazy big, 5'9", 170. He played last year and a couple years before that for the New Jersey Rockets. Last year, he split time between the USPHL Premier, where he had 42 games played, 59 total points, something you'll love to see. And then four games up in the NCDC again, still with the Rockets, where in four games he had two assists. So a forward who he can find the back of the net, 23 goals last year. He also finds open teammates and open ice with 36 assists. So three guys that they've got coming in, all three forwards. They're looking to have a bounce back year. Definitely not the ending they wanted. They want to get a couple more wins in the conference and and move into a playoff spot. That's going to give them a good chance to go on a run in the postseason. Next up are the Lancers from Worcester State, another team that had four wins in the conference last year, accompanied by 13 losses and one ties. So not as many ties as Salem State, but just as many wins. Overall, six wins, 18 losses, two ties. So not too much better out of conference. They had a 2.69 win percentage. So again, Another team that's looking for a bounce-back season. I think they're very well-posed to do that. They're only losing three seniors to graduation off their roster last year, a forward, a defenseman, and a goalie. The goalie, Josh Reinstein, 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 uh, he had about a third of the time in between the pipes, just over uh, just over 300 minutes in between the pipes for them, or, or sorry, just over 470 minutes in between the pipes, th- just over 300 in conference, but he held a, a 1-6-0 record overall, an 8-9-5 save percentage, and a 3-6-6 goals against average. And on the offensive end, not a lot of production leaving due to graduation. Uh, Nick Petullo had uh, one goal, eight assists for nine points through, uh, through 26 games last year, but they're bringing in a couple bodies. They've got three forwards, a defenseman, and a goalie. Uh, two guys coming from the Seacoast Spartans in the EHL. The first one's Drew Eid, Eid, E-I-D. One of those tough last names to pronounce if you're a broadcaster. But last year in the EHL, 46 games played, six goals, 13 assists for 19 points. And in the playoffs, three games played, one goal, five assists for six points. So he was at two points a game in the playoffs and not quite there in the EHL, but you like to see that he turned it on when the limelight or the, the spotlight was shining on him. But he's moving up to Worcester along with his teammate from last year and Louis v- Valent, who also spent last year with the Seacoast Spartans in 30 games played. The defenseman had one goal, three assists for four total points, but 81 pims. I say it all the time. I love it when a kid is getting to the box. He's playing hockey the right way just as long as they're not taking the, the, the hooking penalties and the tripping penalties, the lazy ones, as they like to be called. But a team who, if, if there's one team that we're talking about this episode that's posed for a, a bounce-back season, I think it's Worcester State. They're adding a good amount. They're adding some skill, and they're not losing a ton. They are losing a goalie who shared the pipes uh, in that three-way tandem that they had. But, again, they're not losing a ton on the offensive end. And finally, Framingham State, last but certainly not least, last year in the MASCAC, they went 13-3, oh, 3-13-2. It would have been crazy if they went 13-3-2. 3-13-2 in the MASCAC, 
four eighteen and three overall. They had a two twenty win percentage. Not it last year. I know their playoff hopes came down to the last day of the season. They needed one team to lose and they needed to win. They did their part, but the hockey gods said no for the season. They didn't get to go to the playoffs. But that's all right. They're not losing pretty much anything off the roster. They are losing a goalie in Greg Harney, who he had the net for a, a good amount of the season last year, and they're losing a forward in the form of Nick McNally, uh, a senior from Grafton, Massachusetts. But what they're not losing is their captain in Ryan Paul, a junior. He had 10 points last year, six goals, four assists. Unreal dude. He's just unreal. Uh, Matt Siegel, Siegs, another junior who had 10 points last year, five goals, five assists, another unreal guy. Soren Kolstrup, their leading point getter from last year, four goals, eight assists, 12 points. And, of course, uh, this kid, Mike Janello. I think I've mentioned him a couple times before on the podcast, uh, someone who I was very close to growing up, my older brother. Uh, I think I modeled my entire life after him when I was younger. I, I think an nickname I had was Mini Mike. Uh, but someone uh, or a team that's looking to turn the corner, uh, a conference like the MASCAC where every team but one makes it to the postseason, anything could happen. As long as you have a decent, decent year in the regular season, you get to that postseason. It, it's, it's amazing hockey how one little bounce can change the outcome of a season, and, and conferences like the MASCAC just exemplify that. So a team that's looking to make the playoffs next year, go for a little bit of a run, have a better year, they're, they're bringing in the tools to do that. They've got a fair amount of commits on elite prospects, including a goalie in Trevor Stenberg, whose older brother is a, a Division II college hockey player, and, and uh, Garrett Stenberg. They've got five forwards and a defenseman coming in. So three guys from the Springfield Junior Picks, guy from the Worcester Junior Railers, uh, Stenberg's from the Hitmen in New Jersey. You got a guy coming from Minnesota for the Wilmore Warhawks and a Philadelphia little flyer. But like I said, Framingham State, it, it's so easy to get down on yourselves in a long, grueling season where you only get four wins through the entire season. It's, it's so easy to be just a Debbie Downer and get down on yourself. But they are so tight-knit, and they are such a good, good group of guys to be around. I know I always love going down to Framingham and hanging out with my brother and hanging out with, with those guys. I mentioned... Uh, Matt Siegs, uh, he's an unreal dude. Um, I also mentioned uh, Ryan Paul, another unreal guy. Uh, I didn't mention Jackie P, Jack Pearson, uh, one of the best personalities at this level of college hockey. He's just an unreal guy. He's such a nice guy. I mean, that's just a great way to put it. Uh, he'll talk to you about pretty much anything in the world. He's just Jackie P. Uh, but uh, look for an interview coming later with, with a whole bunch of those guys. I think it's going to be one of if not the most electric interview that we get on the podcast. It's going to be uh, four or five of us just sitting around a table, shooting the shit, having a good time. So that's it for Hockey Talk this week. We're going to get into that interview with Tyler Rago I mentioned earlier. He was my, my mentor uh, for my first two years of college broadcasting. He really got me involved in broadcasting hockey games. He's the reason why hockey games started getting broadcasted at Franklin Pierce. So... He's been around the block with college hockey and, and, and being on the media side, so interested to see what he has to say and, and some of the experiences that he's had from calling conference championships to 
driving hours just for one game. So we're going to send it over. Tyler Rago, 2020 graduate of Franklin Pierce University. So today's guest is possibly my biggest guest in terms of what he's done for me and, and personally knowing him. He is the official play-by-play voice of the Franklin Pierce University hockey programs, both men and women's. He's a leading voice of the Raven Sports Network at Franklin Pierce University, and he's a 2020 graduate of Franklin Pierce University, getting ready to get into the professional world. My play-by-play commentating partner, Tyler Arego. Tyler, how's it going? Ezra, it's going good. Uh, it's good to be on with you and, and get this moment to, to talk. It's been a while for us. Uh, haven't haven't recorded something in a while, so it's always nice to dust off the microphone and, and get back at it. It's really nice of you not throwing me under the bus because we did record a little while ago. We were literally recorded this yesterday, and I never pressed <laughs> record. Uh, it's something that we've done a couple times mistake. at hockey games, but uh, – it happens. Um, thank happens. you so much for coming back on and doing <laughs> this with me. I can't believe I did that yesterday. It was honestly, it was a rookie move, but you know, it's it does happen, and the good thing is we're living in a time where not a lot of things are going on, so we got plenty of time to pick it right back up and do it again. So of course we're going to get into Franklin Pierce. We're going to get into broadcasting, but I want to go back to Tyler Rago and getting into hockey. Obviously, you grew up. Taught in Massachusetts, in that kind of area. Big Boston Bruins fan, big hockey area in the Northeast. But how did you really get into hockey growing up? Uh, I was like most kids growing up, i say, in terms of sports. Um, tried a bunch of different ones uh, as, as a young kid. Uh, did the soccer, did t-ball and baseball. Um, hockey You know, was the last one that I came around to, learned how to skate first, obviously, and all that. Um, so... Doing a bunch of different sports, I think there comes a point where eventually you kind of settle on doing just one. And for me, that was that was that one was hockey. I think it was just the one that I liked the most. It was the one that, even though I wasn't the best at it, I I just enjoyed it more than than baseball and more than soccer. So decided to stick with hockey and um, played it locally as a kid. Uh, you know, squirts and peewees all the way up through uh, high school. And really, my dad was the biggest influence. I think his bare minimum goal was to get me and my brother at the time to just learn how to skate. And then if we wanted to play hockey, then that would be great. But my dad was uh, a big fan of the sport and really liked it and enjoyed playing it and wanted us to try at least to play it. And um, my brother and I both ended up playing all the way up through high school. So I think he definitely exceeded his expectations with us. And... uh, had a lot of fun playing it. I, I wasn't that great of a skater. I only scored one goal ever in my career, but I, I switched to goal when I was around 11 years old, and I still play um, in just your regular old beer leagues, summer leagues, and things like that. So I'm um, still playing it and uh, still playing goal and, and having a lot of fun doing it. So I owe it all to my dad. So um, He was really the guy that, that got that ball rolling and got us into the Learn Escape programs and coached on our youth teams when we were when we were little kids and um yeah he was definitely the the consistent presence and, and motivator for for us i'd say growing up myself especially and then your dad strikes again you're what a junior or senior in high school he's driving yep, senior in high school driving driving in the car you get a radio 
advertisement, Franklin Pierce University, this this new sports media major. No one's yep. really heard of the sports media major, but he comes home and says, you should try this out. Is that really how you kind of discovered Franklin Pierce? Yeah. Uh, my dad uh, is a letter carrier, so uh, he spends obviously a lot of time in the mail trucks. So he's always got the radio on, but I know when he comes home, he also listens to the radio. And this was around a time where I don't think they're running ads anymore on 98.5, the sports hub in Boston. They might be, but I'm not sure. Um, I haven't heard one in a while, but I also don't listen to the radio that frequently. But they, in the beginning, uh, when they were first marketing the, this new major, um, they were running ads on 98.5, the sports hub in Boston. So my dad heard about it. And when he got home later on that day, uh, this was around the time when we were still looking into schools and I hadn't really committed to anything just yet. So the timing of it was also perfect because when he told me about it and I looked it up and got more information, we ended up scheduling a tour and just kind of added it to my list of schools. And once I went up there and got the first tour out of the way, that's when I kind of had a good feeling that it was going to be the place for me. And as cliche as that is, you kind of hear everybody say that. I I think it's really true. Like you, you you have that, that feeling, that gut feeling, like, you know, that this is going to, be the place that ends up working out and so despite it being the last school i had ever heard of uh it quickly became my number one choice after after taking a look at it that's actually like you say it's cliche but it's so relatable i mean franklin pierce was the the last school i applied to they i went to one of my brother's games they were playing becker i think yeah becker uh millerick was in the stands wearing a franklin pierce jacket so i applied to the school just because they had college hockey they were the first school to send me my acceptance letter, so I just threw the tour in the day before Plymouth State, and I ended my Plymouth State tour about two and a half early hours early because I just did not like it. It, it wasn't like Franklin Pierce. But what drew you to it when you got on campus? Was it Pearly Pond? Was it the athletic fields? Was it just how small the campus was, the view of the mountain? What what was it at Franklin Pierce that really got you like, wow, this is, this is home for the next four? I think that the... The small aspect of it definitely was something that got my got my attention because I, I went to a small private Catholic high school in Taunton, Mass. So my graduating class was like 92 kids, 94 kids. So I didn't go to a very big school. I didn't graduate a very big class. So I think that I wasn't turned away by the fact that it was a small environment and a kind of reclusive environment up there, Franklin Pierce, because it almost kind of fit what I was looking for. I was looking at a couple of schools in Boston and the atmosphere was just polar opposite. And so I almost felt that that would benefit me a little bit better, kind of going somewhere that was low-key and um, quieter and a little more peacefuler, if you will. Um, maybe I would uh, fit in a little bit better and enjoy it. And that was definitely a big aspect of it. But, yeah, definitely the views. I mean, it's a unique it's a unique college campus. And like I said, I looked at a bunch of schools in the city, and obviously Franklin Pierce is going to stand out for those. And yeah, going to a school in, in rural New Hampshire that had those those amenities like a lake and a mountain, um, it definitely, it was different. And it was a good kind of different. And I, I enjoyed it a lot. And I think in the end, it was more so that small community aspect that really kind of helped me gel and find my way and, you know, eventually end up doing what I ended up doing at that school, which was getting involved and, and making a lot of great memories. And and getting involved, so you, you now you're at this new school with this new major, sports media. Um, you get there, step day, was it the first day you, you got there and you said, all right, I want to commentate. 
hockey or is it I want to get into it just in general? Like what really was it that at the beginning stages of Tyler Rago and, and commentating at the collegiate level? Well, I think originally the goal was to just see if we were any good at it because we had to make it, there had to be that decision fairly early on as to, okay, either this is something that is for me that I can work with or it's just not clicking. We tried it. We'll cut our losses with it while we still can and, and pick up a, a another major. Um, we'll just go back to the drawing board altogether. But I think originally when I first got there, my goal was to be more proactive. I, I wasn't a very proactive person in high school. I was very much a behind-the-scenes um, type of kid. I was very much didn't like being out kind of in the at the forefront of things. So I, I wanted to change that in general. And doing sports broadcasting, you obviously you can't be uh, a background person. You have to be out in front of everything, and, and you have to be comfortable with the number one fact of your voice is going to be going over a microphone, and people are going to be hearing it. And you have to deliver. You have to you have to say something. You can't just stay silent. So I wanted to prove to myself that I could go out and I could do something like that, something ambitious like that. But then I also wanted to see how up to snuff I was with it and, and if it was something that I was capable of doing. And so I remember moving into Franklin Pierce in, in late August, and it was about a month after that I was on the call for my first ever game, uh, which was field hockey. And so not really knowing all that much of field hockey, it was a big jump just to do that, just to say yes to that game. But getting comfortable with it throughout the fall, I think it gave me that confidence for once winter rolled around to speak up and pursue this opportunity with ice with ice hockey. And that's exactly what happened. And did my first hockey game in November. And um, I don't know if I still have the recording for that or if I ever did have the recording for that, but it probably wasn't the greatest. I know I have a couple from my freshman year, and I've gone back occasionally to listen, and they are quite interesting. But um, it was a start, and and it's a start that I'm glad that I that I got. I'm definitely glad that I did speak up in the end. And uh, Robbie Sakara, our director of Raven Sports Network at the time, was was willing to work with me as my direct color commentator, and we made it work my freshman year, along with Sean Ellerson, another good friend of mine, and. Uh, it, it really all took off from there, but it was it was continuous growth and in, in, in building up to that moment. I, I didn't come right into Frank Pierce with this grand ambition of of calling hockey and and really taking that over, so to speak. But it was a gradual development, I would say. So when you when you got to Franklin Pierce, there actually really wasn't anything to take over, right? Like hockey wasn't a, a covered sport in terms of Raven Sports Network and commentary. There was no N10 Now network. There wasn't a mandatory, you have to do these games, these games, and these games. It was really kids just getting on the radio, getting to the game. And it was an off-campus rink, uh, not a ton of interest. The teams weren't doing too hot. And you came in and and said, I want to do this, right? Yeah. When I got to Franklin Pierce, Raven Sports Network was a lot different than when I left it. And I like to think that I, when I left it, I left it largely in better shape than when I, when I got there. Um, in the beginning, we were definitely um, more student-run than ever before, to put it one way. And I think that it was exactly how you said it. It was a group of students, and, and our director 
scheduled games and and scheduled people who were available and could do these games on a on a voluntary basis. There was no mandate from the conference that we had to be there. It was more of a service we provided to the athletics of Franklin Pierce and also to ourselves as people trying to get experience in the in the realm of of calling sports. And so that's how it started and it's it was a great opportunity right off the bat like getting there and not having this pressure on you to necessarily have to perform at the highest of levels you could pick it up you didn't even have to be and and it's still like that now where you don't even have to be a sports media major or a comm major to to be a part of it um but you're gonna see now with the ne 10 mandate that a majority of the kids that are involved in these rsn productions are going to be communications and sports media and and things like that because it is much much more official and and much much more higher end so to speak because it is a mandate now from the conference but in the beginning uh it was a very voluntary based service uh nobody was really pressuring anybody to do anything there was no demand to do anything our goal was to try and call as many games as we could and so when hockey came around I wasn't really sure as to how it worked because I didn't even know where our rink was. <laughs> I didn't even know the rink was in Massachusetts. I had no idea where it was. Um, I had no idea really who was on the team, who was coaching the teams. I didn't really know anything. Um, so when I asked Rob originally how it worked, all he could tell me was where the rink was and that it was about 10 to 15 minutes off campus in Massachusetts. And so that's all the information really I had to go off of. And um, Rob really led the way. He was the one who connected with me with, with Matt Janik. And and Matt obviously um, was, was, was huge in, in helping me with these broadcasts, with the lines and kind of pointing me where to go and helping and helping to show where to set up and, and the best place to set up up there at the Jason Rich Ice Arena. So it – it was a very unofficial voluntary setup that we were doing. And Rob had told me when I had first asked him about hockey, that the last time he could remember it ever being done was in 2011. And then before that, it was even longer. Um, I think you'd have to go back to around 2004. So it was not being done at a consistent base and the gaps in between were, insane uh, i think they had called i think they were there for the inaugural women's game in 2011 and that was it and that was the last one then they never really went back out again and so my freshman year i think i only did about seven or eight games combined both teams and we didn't go on the road that year either. so i didn't even get to a majority of their home games but the ones that i did get out to ended up doing more in that one season than anyone had prior um, ever before, to my knowledge. And and so you mentioned Matt Janik, Matt Jackson, not, well, Matt Janik, the SID at Franklin Pierce in the athletics department, um, our boss in athletics for staff writing. Did you start writing for athletics also your freshman year, or was that something that came a little later? Uh, writing for Matt came uh, a little bit later. I didn't worked for the athletic department my freshman year actually i started working for them my sophomore year in the fall uh started off i originally wanted to write for them but 
as you come quickly learn, there is no such thing as just being in charge of, of one aspect. When it comes to sports, you often find yourself doing a lot of different things. So my job working for Matt um, and, and working in the athletic department was great because it taught me a lot. Um, it got me a lot of other great experiences in writing. I got to do a lot of public address announcing, which was helping me with, the, with my broadcasting on the side because it's using your voice and it's building confidence in using your voice through using your voice. So those were all great enriching opportunities. And, and anybody who's involved with the hockey team, you know Matt Janich. He's a consistent presence at that rank. He has been longer than, than, than any of us. Um, he's been scoring those games and, and involved with those programs for as long as they've, for as long as he's been at Franklin Pierce. Um, and I know, especially with the women's program coming along, he's had a very big hand with them. Um, he's a terrific guy, terrific asset uh, to me. He was so helpful all four years from lines to updating me on certain things and um, getting us connected, obviously, with the other team's SIDs from going onto the road for the first time to St. Anselm and then to UNH and Dartmouth this past year. Matt's the guy. Matt's pulling all those strings behind the scenes to help us out and thinking to myself, you mentioned off the top, you know, I'm a co I'm graduated now officially and I have to now be my own Matt Janik. Um, I have to provide myself with this information and knowledge and, and my own line charts and my own statistics and all those things. And, and it's going to be interesting and I'm definitely going to miss Matt's help, but he was a huge, huge help for me. Um, coming in as a freshman and beginning my, my broadcasting career, Franklin Pearson, especially with the hockey teams. I think he helped bridge the gap for sure with me coming in and, and calling these games. And and so sophomore year you start writing, broadcasting starts picking back up. I, I don't think you, you didn't do that many games your freshman year, right? You did like maybe seven home games your freshman year, right? It was a couple. We didn't do as many as I would have liked. Um, but we got out to a couple, and I think it was it was a good start. We made our presence known, is, is what I would say. And then you you get sophomore year, and it starts to pick up. Tyler Rago and his identity in sports media, and his identity with the hockey programs, it, it starts to grow. And, and I know when I got to Franklin Pierce, your junior year at least, you were the hockey guy. If you asked anybody who did the commentary for ice hockey, it was. Tyler Arago, and and did that really take form your sophomore year? Is that really just when you hit your stride with the media side? I felt it was definitely developing my freshman year. I had just such a unique opportunity with with the sport to to be able to take the reins of it almost. Not that there were even any reins there to begin with, but it just was the opportunity was wide open. It was an uncontested layup. Uh, and and basically by just going after it, it became the and we were such a small group to begin with, and if that was one of the perks of going to a smaller program like Franklin Pierce was the competition, and you're not you're not having to fight against that many people to necessarily get to where you want to get. You can get ahead, in fact, of the curve as to somebody who maybe goes to a bigger program like a Syracuse and has to wait their turn, and so. I felt that it was just an instance of here's an opportunity. The lane is wide open. I'm going to take it. 
and building off of my freshman year, I remember when we were scheduling these games, the conversation went from who's going to do hockey to who's going to do hockey with Tyler because it just kind of became my thing. And it was something that I never announced. Like I never had to like make it known like, oh, this is what I do. It just became something that I ended up doing. And I think that was the coolest thing about it was it just was a natural thing and I enjoyed doing it. And I had a lot of fun my freshman year, the games that I was able to do. And sophomore year is when it definitely picked up. We were calling a lot more games and we were doing them more frequently. Um, We were doing like the back-to-backs, especially like I remember my freshman year, we would often call the Friday night game, but then we would never get back out for the Saturday game because there would be maybe a conflict or, we would just we would just only do the one game and and now this time around it was more of like the standard was well let's do both games if we can uh if we're available and if there isn't a conflict of time let's do fry let's do the double you know, let's do the back to back let's do these double headers and when it came time for the playoffs and this was of course the NEWHA's first year on the women's side so when it came time for the playoffs it really took off where the standard was well we should go we've called a handful of these games already and then some they're in the playoffs. Let's go. So it, it grew very quickly from being just a, an obligation to uh, no, this is something that, you know, I'm going to take up and I'm going to make sure that we're doing as consistently as possible. And we're giving it our best. And I think software year going into junior year, that those two seasons in particular were the biggest ones in terms of solidifying that. And and you you get to your junior year now. I'm showing up. You you lost your color you com- your sorry your color commentator of um Sean Ellerson. I remember that was a big worry of mine actually. Not that I ever doubted you per se, but losing somebody who I worked with prior for you know the last two seasons and was somebody a good friend of mine away from RSN and, and away from athletics and with somebody who I felt I had tremendous chemistry with, especially when we were calling hockey games together, it was, it was a big question mark because I didn't know what to expect. And I didn't know if there would be a situation where I would have to maybe pick between like a group of people or a couple of different people, or if I would be alternating with different people. So when it was really just you, I was thrilled because that meant that, okay, I'm going to be able to really spend some time with this person and get to know them and develop this relationship and not have to worry about, oh, I'm doing these two games with you, but then the next three I'm doing with somebody else. So the fact that we didn't have that carousel, so to speak, going on was huge. And then we ended up doing 23 games my junior year. And I think about 19 of those games or 18 or 19 of those games were with you. So it was a pretty impressive year. And honestly, it didn't take long to erase any doubts that I had. I think it was maybe after the first four games we did together where I was like, okay, I think we've got a good partnership going on here. I think this is going to work. You you tend to know those things pretty quickly. I I feel like at least when a relationship is going to, is going to pan out the way you think it is. And it obviously did. So, and and you you didn't know this, but uh, like I met you this summer before my freshman year, you were at like a, an RSN booth 
and you were talking to me, and I said I played hockey for 13 years, just got off playing junior hockey. Like, I, I commentated games when I got hurt, and you're like, oh, my God, like, that's unreal. Like, my color commentator just graduated, and then I get to Franklin Pierce. You get into the first meeting. You're the, f- the fall director of RSN. You get to the winter. You're, you're doing the last meeting. We're going over the first week of, of games, and we get to the hockey game, and you give it to your roommate, and I'm like, we just had this conversation in the summer that I was going to be your color commentator. And then what happened? So I didn't even do the first game with you. Um, but but like you said, after those first couple games that we did it together, obviously something clicked and we had that chemistry going. I think it was a pretty good partnership for the past two years. But um, the, the the junior year for you, it ends off pretty pretty well. The men's team, they didn't make playoffs, but they had a better year than in years past. But the women's yep. team, they go all the way to the NEWHA finals. They go to St. A's. You get two away games in that building. The first one was a victory against Sacred Heart, and the second one, a tough loss where they lose in the championship, looking for their first championship in the NEWHA. Was that something that you really looked forward to, was being able to go on the road a little bit more often with these teams? Well, it was exciting the first time. I remember going to St. Anselm for the first time, for that first game, my sophomore year, to backtrack. And it was such an exciting experience because it was my first time calling hockey in a venue like that. Um, and and not to knock our rink because I it, it holds a very special place and, and I've had a lot of great calls and a lot of great memories in that rink. But when we got to go to that uh, playoff game in St. Anson for the first time at the Sullivan Arena, it just was – it was breathtaking. It's call that call that game from from that venue. It was a great memory in that regard. The first game I ever called in that building was not good. It was a seven one loss to the Hawks. And so when they came back the following year, a much better, a much deeper team, um, a team that last out in the playoffs, finished third in that tournament and beat Holy Cross in double overtime and proved that they could hang in there with the big gunners of that conference. They play a really incredible game against Sacred Heart, um, a game that got pushed back because of, of time. And um, I remember that game being a back-and-forth affair and them pulling out a one-goal victory and, and punching their ticket into a championship game. And, and I realized on the way back that that was going to be the first championship game I was ever going to call. So that naturally was an exciting thing for me. And you start thinking in your head, like, the moment. And because that's what broadcasting is really all about. It's about translating and, and, and describing the moment that's happening. And so the moment was, well, this team has an opportunity to win a championship. And in order to do it, they're going to have to beat a program that they've never beaten before ever. And they only have the one other tie. It's all been losses. So this was huge. Like, it was such a big game. And they gave it a good run. San Anselm was unbelievable that year. And they only they were undefeated in the conference. They only had the one tie against Sacred Heart way back at the beginning of the season. So it almost it was it was definitely their trophy to lose, and they didn't lose it. And so as much as it was disappointing, the end result of it, um, it was a thrill to be there. It was a privilege to be there, and I was so proud of of the team and how they competed and played. And they were a goal away from, from being right back in that championship game. Um, they were right down to the wire again and unfortunately came just short against the Hawks. And that was another game where it was such an unbelievable thing to be a part of, such a 
insane games have called, and yet the result, unfortunately, was just not what we could have hoped for. So it's a bit oxymoronic, I feel like, but they're good memories to me in some extent. I, I'm very glad that I was there and got to be a part of it, but I absolutely wish they could have won those two games, no doubt about it. And and I remember last year, second semester after the hockey season ended, we got into a little bit of a, like a funk because we were, we were out of calling hockey games. I mean, it's the most games that you called up to your – you're part of the career for that like one season. I've never called college hockey, and now I'm done calling college hockey. It's like we're ready for the next thing. You end on a loss, and you never like ending the season on a loss. And then we come back for your senior year, my sophomore year. The women's hockey team announces that they're now NCAA Division One hockey. The NEWHA gets brought into the NCAA, and we get the, the schedule out for the women's hockey team. And September 29th, 2019, we go on the road to U- to the University of New Hampshire. And that was just, whoa. I mean, it was certainly eye-opening. Um, and again, just another moment where I was so tremendously proud to be a part of that program. I mean, when it when there were the rumors and the rumblings that this is what was going to happen, I almost didn't, it almost didn't sound right because I just was like, we're going to really field the division one program now. And my skepticism and my doubt was, was quickly, quickly put away because I realized that the sport is growing in such a direction where now is the time. Now is the time to start laying the foundation out to, to, to compete at this level. It, it, there's so much talent out there, and we saw that this year, the recruiting class with what Coach Stockton was able to bring in and, and the players and where he was pulling them from. You know, the recruiting class is, is, is growing, and it just it all came together. And, I, and honestly, this season, I've said it before, but it was the best one for me. Um, I can't speak for any of the players, but I'd like to imagine that on both sides of the aisle, they would agree that so far – last season was was the best um i can certainly say from a broadcasting standpoint that i that i felt that that i believe that i think i did some of my best work this year and i think that's just an uh it's it can be attributed to just the growth that i've seen um throughout all the years the the growth in these programs it's it's really it's there it's a tangible thing you can you can see it materialize right in front of you um with the men's team making the playoffs and, and having a very successful year and the women's team, their win totals growing every year and players coming in performing better and better with each passing season. So it's there, you see it. And so when they announced that for the women's program, at least going to division one, it was just another example of, of this tremendous growth and they go to UNH and we're at the Whittemore center and we're playing against the Wildcats and, we were obviously there calling that game and it was a six, nothing loss. And it was obviously a, a tough game, but I remember afterwards thinking to myself, you know what though, this is, this team is going to be all right. And, and, and this was an unbelievable experience for everybody involved, our, ourselves included, because I walked away from that game saying to myself, you know, that was probably the highest level of hockey game I, I've called to date. And that UNH, that UNH team has some great players, and a couple of which were drafted <laughs> and signed in the NWHL. So look out <laughs> next year for them. 
you got Taylor Winkowski and, and Carly Turner. I mean, a couple of really good players, and that's not even all of them. But we Franklin Pierce played against them, competed against them in the first game of the year. Uh, Emmy played phenomenal in that game. Ashley did all season long. I mean, it was a great first step, I felt. And it really started what, what ended up being such a great season of hockey. Yeah, by the way, you, you can't mention players getting drafted into the NWHL and not mention Bridget Prentice. Oh, what an unbelievable moment that was. Uh, I was so over the moon for her. Bridget uh, drafted by the, the Metropolitan Riveters, the first pro draft pick in, in Franklin Pierce hockey. Um, so well-deserved. I mean, she she was so unbelievable for them this year, and she arguably was one of the most under-the-radar players in Division One hockey in terms of the women's side of the game. I mean, if she was doing this at, say, a BU or, or, or a Northeastern or a Boston College, I mean, her name would have been all across the country. And we're a small school, yes, but with a player like that and with her getting drafted, it, it does such a number for the program. And, and it's also deserved for Bridget because she, she was unbelievable on the ice and unbelievable person too uh i had the privilege to live with her on the same trip uh, at franklin pierce and know her off the ice and work with her in the athletic department and yeah she's she's great and it was a pleasant surprise uh, i was uh, apparently this was something that was was people were aware of that the riveters really were interested in her and they were trying to get her out and suited up before the season ended uh, there were conflicts though with Franklin Pierce's season and all that stuff. And so when I saw the news that Bridget was picked, it came as a surprise to me, but not in a bad way, just that in a way I just wasn't expecting it. And it was it was something that made me extremely happy, though, because she's awesome and can't wait to see what she does for the Riveters. Uh, they had a pretty tough power play this past year, so I'm sure that if they put her on the power play, uh, they'll see an improvement there undoubtedly i yeah i was gonna say i think the coolest part of the entire thing was the gm coming out and be like yeah we picked bridget prentice because of her power play ability because of the amount of goals that she scores on the power play but um i think this year your senior year this past year and in, in hockey at franklin pierce in general was just a boom for us for the men's team for the women's team the men's team 16 12 and 4 i looked at their their uh, archives it's actually the first year that they have gone overall over 500. 500, um, correct. And they go 16, 12, and 4. They played the most amount of games by any team in the any 10. They had that unbelievable uh, uh, nine-game heater, eight-game heater in the middle of the season. Um, they they beat St. Aslam for the first time as a program. The women's team beats St. Aslam as the first time as a program. The, they, they play UNH, Dartmouth, and the University of Maine in their first three legit NCAA D1 games, and, and off the ice, it, we really became more a part of the programs. Everybody says that like we're, we're on the team, but we're not on the team. We're not rostered. We don't have numbers, but we hang out with them off the ice. I know you're really good friends with Bridget Prentice, Delaney Guimont, uh, Carolyn Drown, all these athletic workers. I mean, uh, I'm friends with a lot of the sophomores and juniors. I didn't really know the seniors that well, but in, in Franklin Pierce hockey this year, I mean, every day was just a new all-time high, and everything was going on. We're breaking records every day. You got players like Alex Lester, the, the most prolific scorer in, in Franklin Pierce history. 
I mean, it's just this past year was unbelievable for Franklin Pierce hockey. It, it really was. And I think that's what made it so special was that it, it was the last year. And I think everybody wanted to do their best and to finish out the best that they could. And I think that the goal was to maximize the time. Because especially for me, I knew that, okay, there are a finite amount of games here. I am not going to be able to get to all these games. And so I need to pick my spots and I need to commit myself to as many as I can. I don't want to miss any. I really didn't. And I ended up missing a couple, uh, some that I didn't want to miss. But um, in the end, it was always trying to maximize the time. And I think I was still able to do that. And I think by, by doing that, it really strengthened those relationships because we're all seniors. And um, as much as it was their last go around on the ice for Franklin Pierce, it was my last go around up there um, calling games for them. And, and so as, as it was sad that their playing careers were coming to an end or their time playing at Franklin Pierce was coming to an end, my time calling games for Franklin Pierce was coming to an end. And I think that it was something that was, was great for me to see because I think for the first three years, I, I felt that I was a part of it, but to an extent, I always thought that, yeah, like I'm there, but I'm, I'm more there for me, really. I'm more there for my own experiences, and they know that I'm there, but that's about it. When I found out that they really did appreciate and, and acknowledge and, and knew about the work that was going on up there and how much it meant to them, as much as it meant to me, I think that really just pumped me right up because it, it, it's always great to, to hear somebody express their appreciation, but when it's mutually felt um, because I always appreciated them because without them, I couldn't do my job, obviously. So to hear it though from them that, that they loved having me out there and they were appreciative of my work and believed I was good at my work and, and loved having me cover their games and didn't want anybody else to, to do it and all these things. I mean, that's a special thing. And you start to meet them off the ice and hang out with them more. It's just, you know, college kids and college students and it, it just enhances that relationship and it creates a really special dynamic and you get to know them a lot better um, off the ice and that's something I never took for granted and I was so happy my senior year to finally have done it uh, to finally branch out uh, off the ice and away from the rink and, and really get to meet them and know them and hang out with them because they're great people and they're, they're a lot of fun to be around that's for sure and uh, I'm glad that they made me and made us a part of this of this family because it's a terrific family to be a part of. And I think the it was in the beginning of the year it was like we'd see him at at like their house. We'd go to Lakeview and we'd we'd go into four in the men's house and we'd see someone. I remember Matt Toombs. I saw him in the beginning of the year and he goes, "Hey man, like really good job on that call the other night. Like I went back and listened to it or or, or uh." Like great job, you look good up in the corner, and it was the same thing. Like I'd be saying to him, like, dude, you, you look unreal on the ice. Like great game, like, like love that goal and that that slap shot from the blue line. But then as the season went on, like we just we'd walk in and it's like, what's up, boys? How's it going? Or what's up, girls? How's it going? It, it's just it became that kind of a dynamic. But I think the the coolest part for me from this year was was one the girls they'd look up in the corner during warm-ups and they'd see two random faces. So if we were working for athletics in the score box or if it was one of us and, and someone else, they'd be like, who the hell is that? Like, who's with you? Where's, where's the other one? It's got to be both of you up there, not just one. And the other one was 
parents and, and people at Franklin Pierce taking our audio and putting it on top of the audio of other broadcasters. So when we went to away games at St. A's for the, for the girls, they'd take our audio and put it on the St. A's stream. Or when we went to Assumption and, and Boston, everybody would take our audio and, and tell us. they text us during games and say, you guys are so much better than them. And, and families were reaching out. I know Delaney Guimont's mom is a fan of the, the Pierce Hockey podcast. She's DM'd us and put her us on her Instagram story a lot. But I think really that's the coolest part. And, and the, the big thing about Franklin Pierce Hockey is, is they're a family, but they're very inclusive as to who is included in their family. And they're not exclusive as, as some hockey programs in this country are. No, and I, I think that that's definitely what I'll miss the most. I, I think that going on to the next stage of my career, it's definitely going to be a much more, in a way, professional atmosphere. And that doesn't mean that these relationships can't exist, like these deep relationships or these close relationships. I feel like my goal is to establish a similar vibe to wherever I go next, whatever team or organization that is. I, I want to have that connection to the players on the ice and the coaching staff where – I can talk to them about the game, get to know them a little bit better, this, that, and the other thing. But when you're in college and you're all the same age and, and you're all kind of there doing the same thing, involved with the same thing, it creates that unique dynamic. You're all kind of in it together. And, and, and even when you're away from the rink and you're not calling them playing a sport, you can still talk to them and, and say hello and, and have conversations about different things. And it, it, it makes for a unique, uh, a unique atmosphere. And uh, it's something that I'll miss the most. And um, I definitely, I definitely owe it to them, though, because like you said, they they were open, and and it took me longer than I would have liked it to. But I I'm glad that my senior year I started really taking up that their offer that that oh, you you can you know you're much more than just this this person who shows up to our games that we don't know really is there half the time. And um, to know that they were appreciative like I said and that they knew why why I was there and what I was doing and all that stuff and that we were giving them you know the the attention and the coverage that they deserve as well it was just it all worked out so well and it was such it was such a perfect relationship really in that sense and um, I doubt that I'm going to really recreate that um, ever again with with another team but it, it it'll go down into what made working with them um, so much fun and so I, I have we have to talk about it before we finish up the the NWHA semifinal this year, two to one loss at St. Asm, the Sullivan Arena, and it it was a weird day from the moment we woke up. <laughs> we're we're on our way to the rink, and we're driving with Taylor Abbott. She's one of the girls that ran the women's hockey social media accounts with you, and she gets a call from Cassie Peterson, one of the assistant coaches, says. Stockdale forgot his jacket at the at the Rich. We got to go get it. And we're already almost yep. halfway to Manchester. We turn around. I'm driving. We turn around. Go get it. Because I looked at you and said, I am not going to be the reason why we lose today. Right? So weird day to start. We get to the rink 10 minutes before puck drop. We quickly set up. We get put in their president's box. We've called games from this box before. And then <laughs> seven minutes before puck drop, they come to us. Same and old drama. Say, they say, yep. you guys have to move, and you're ready to, to hit anybody in your way. You are redder <laughs> than the jerseys on the ice and, and just ready to go. And, and it's seven minutes to puck drop, and, and we're being told that we can't be where we are. I mean, it's just that 
that exemplified the game that was about to happen because Tyler, that game went five overtimes, and that well, funny as was, well, that game was was crazy, right? It was eight periods long, and and yet I think those coaches sat there and watched that game from that president's box for about one of those periods. So the fact that there was such a big deal of us setting up there, a place in which we had prior clearance before from their own SID, and oh, there was just all this drama that had gone on before we had gotten on the air. It happened before during the regular season game, too, when we went back in January over winter break, but there, there's always something when we go to the Sullivan Arena, it feels like. It, it, you get that atmosphere that they don't want us there, or they don't like us there, or they don't think that we should be there, but nonetheless, we're there. And um, that game was one where, like I said earlier, it's something that I, I'm so glad that I got to be a part of it because it was such an epic thing to witness. Like, that's the first word that comes to my mind. I mean, it was soul-crushing, too. That's the second because my soul was crushed when, when it did eventually end and, and they lost and their season was over. But to, from, from the opening puck drop to, to the game-winning goal, I mean, it was like unlike anything I'd ever been to been through before. Like, I remember when the third overtime ended, and I was like, is this for real? Like, <laughs> I called a double overtime game once, and that game ended very early into double overtime. I think it was like two and a half, three minutes into double overtime. So when the third overtime ended, and we had played two full hockey games now at this point, and it was still one-to-one, I was like, okay this is something special. And then it just grew. They played another full period. And then they made the announcement even mid game over the PA that that those people there, you have now witnessed the longest NCAA women's hockey game of all time. And that was just like, it was one of those moments where you're like, Holy, like, Holy bleep. Like that's cool. That's, that's an unbelievable thing to be a part of. And then at the same time though, in my head, at least, I have the, the homer in me screaming for Frank Lutier to score because oh it just it's all I wanted and my gut was to make that call and to just breathe that sigh of relief that it's over and Frank Lutier would be on the right side of it and all they needed was that one shot and it just didn't go their way and sometimes that's just how it is and no matter what happens. Um, it just wasn't meant to be, and, and, and I think the most heartbreaking thing of all was looking down to my left towards the goal after it had been scored, and Emmy Ostrander, who played just so unbelievably well in that game, 79 saves on, on 81 shots, and to see her just kind of drop her head into her gloves, it kind of just summed up the night for me where there was no there was no good feeling. It was the last game I was ever going to call for them. Um, it was the end of their season, such a crushing way. And yet, after getting through that original wave of like sadness and, and processing that on the way back home, I sat there and thought to myself, "Wow, I just did that. Like, I was there from start to finish, from the Caitlin Brightville power play goal to the Katie Meehan tying goal in the third, and then." however many minutes it was from that goal midway through the third period to Madison Spray's game winner in the fifth overtime. I mean, I was there and, and, and we called that entire game and that is an incredible accomplishment. And it's, it's 
as it stands right now, the most epic thing I've ever done. The the, the coolest thing I've ever done in terms of sport, in terms of sports broadcasting as a whole. It's it's just unbelievable. It's it's I I I don't know how to describe the game. A five hour and fifteen minute game of just back <laughs> and forth is, going is the word. Um, but and do you remember the kind of music that turned on in the car? By the way, when we got in after the loss. Oh man, I would say oof, I would say probably not. I think everything was such a blur by that point because it was so conflicting. Because that same day, the men's team had won at home much earlier before that game ended. So they were going to the postseason. So I remember I think we talked about that for a little bit, and that gave us a little bit of happiness that we weren't done just yet. But I don't know. I don't think I remember your music choice. That, oh, my that God. That particular car ride back. The, we get in the car, and it's the slowest, saddest song possible. And you ah. look at me with, like, these glassy eyes, and you're like, dude, please change the song. Do and you I'm remember the there. song? Uh, I don't know what the song was, but oh, I don't man. know. I I just it was on, and I'm just sitting there like so down in my dumps. And you look at me, and you you were like, "Dude, please change this song." And I'm I'm like, "Of course." And it's completely 180 because remember we leave that assumption game uh, the following week, and and do you know what song we played in the car leaving that assumption game? That we, we rolled down the windows and blasted it. I think it was uh, nothing but a good time, no? The the Bad Boys for Life, the Tom Brady song. Oh, yes. yes. We ain't going no yeah. right yet. We, blasted we still had, we had one more. That game was that game was basically a week after the St. Anthony game. We were back on the road in Assumption in the stands of all places. One of the wackiest. One of the wackiest games I've ever I, called. I put or my helmet and visor on. We were almost getting pelted I'll by the Hawks off the crossbar. They came out for warm-ups that game, and they were firing pucks. And one hits the crossbar or the post and goes over and hits and lands right where we're going to set up our stuff. And Sam Gagnon skates by us, and I see him, like, cover his head almost. And I was like, I might need a helmet too, Ezra, because – this was short glass, and that game, of course, goes into overtime, and I'm thinking, oh, I can't take back-to-back overtime heartbreakers. Not like this, you know, not in the playoffs. And that time around, the result was a lot happier, and, and that was a fantastic moment and um, turned out to be just another great, great memory and what was a great year, um, I think. Chris, I think Stevenson's winner in that game was like the cherry on top of my of my Franklin Pierce broadcasting because it just was one of many great moments from that year particularly and in the prior three that I could just file in my memory bank and be like, yep, that's one I'll look back on and be like, wow. And the final game you called too. Yeah. Yep, that would. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't make it out to the to the championship game against Stonehill. I was super bummed out about that. But calling that game and, and the winner and, and and the goal happened right in front of us, which was great. So we got a perfect view of it. And um, oh, it, that elation will never get old. And I, and I think that's really the driving force of it. Is those are the moments that I want to I want to witness and I want to deliver to other people. That's why I love what I do so much is because it's just so much fun. Like 
when that puck went in, it's just like it, it capped off such an incredible story in that game. I mean, they're down on the road to the number one seed, 2 nothing early. They look totally frazzled, totally out of it. Like, it did not look good. They weathered the storm. They get a goal back. The captain gets leveled, takes a big hit, um, comes back on that same power play, leads the way. It goes back and forth, back and forth. You're tied up at three. You're going into OT, getting out shot. You know, you're always playing great. And Chris Stevenson, who had such an unbelievable year, picks up that puck and, and scores and caps off just an unreal night. And, again, just like it was for that five-overtime game, to be there from start to finish and to call every moment, every up and down, every lead change and big hit, big save, clutch play, you know, it, it's like it's just so much fun. It really is. And, and for that to have been the last game that I ended up doing, um, honestly, it was it wasn't it just was a special one to end on. And like I said, another just great memory to, to file in my uh, my memory bank. And and we're gonna go back to that five overtime game. I'm I'm gonna to reference it in a second. But the the joke during our broadcast was always that I'm the USA hockey referee and I'm the USA hockey coach and I played 13 years of hockey and and finished playing junior hockey before I got hurt. Um, So I I was the one that was always catching things. I knew what the call was always going to be before the ref made the call. I knew what was going to happen before it actually happened. But you were actually the king of predicting things, and it it came to life in that five-overtime game. You looked at me at the end of, I think, the third overtime, and you said, Ezra, this goal is either going to be a tip in front or a dirty, dirty screen. And what happens in that fifth overtime? A shot from the blue line, it gets tipped in front, and game over. And it was just like exactly how you said it. And is that something that you kind of learned in your four years of broadcasting hockey, is is how to read the play and, and read the game? Or is it something that you've had naturally growing up playing hockey? I think it's, I think it definitely goes beyond the four years of Franklin Pierce. I think that it just came from watching hockey on TV as just a kid, as just a fan, somebody who enjoyed it primarily for, for the goalies. I was really big into that, and, and that's what got me really hooked on it in the beginning. But I think through watching it intensely and then playing it and then growing up with it and, and you know the different levels of it going through that, I mean, I didn't play it even at a super high level either. Um, but I believe Doc Emmerich, who is like the king of, of hockey calling, at least in the United States, I don't even think he ever played it at all in, in his life. So, and yet he's regarded as one of the best, if not the best voice in the game across the United States, Canada, and the world. So you don't necessarily have to have played it to know everything about it. Um, but I definitely think playing it uh, helped me a lot. I, I, I think it helped me to understand it a little bit more. Um, it gave me maybe an edge, so to speak, even if I didn't play it at a high level. But I think in general, just consuming it, just watching the game, um, watching the Bruins on TV and, and watching any hockey really that I could on TV um, and learning like the little things about it and what separated uh, – a superstar player from a star player and what, what was the difference in a, in a one goal loss, um, things like that. I think it helped me come my time at Franklin Pierce to really have a good grasp on how to call the game and to how to see certain things unfold or certain scenarios. And as to when should you pull the goalie or should you maybe have done this or have 
fantastic year or whatever it may be. So I think that just watching a lot of it and getting really in tune and familiar with it um, helped me a lot once it came time for my for, for my broadcasting career to start up. I, I think it gave me that edge, uh, if you will, when it came to actually calling the game live. Tyler, I want to thank you so much for coming on and doing this with me again. Again. Um, seeing as I, we, did oh, no, this, yeah. we did this yesterday and it didn't go too well, but um, I know you've got a couple <laughs> options as to where you're going to end up next year. I know you're, you're looking to get a broadcasting job at the next level. So, dude, good luck with everything going on. Come back to Fr- to Ringe and Franklin Pierce. Call a game with me again. But I, I cannot wait to see what happens with you and, and where you go because you're going to go far in the broadcasting world, Ty. Uh, it's exciting stuff. Um, even with this whole pandemic and the uncertainty, um, cast out a few lines for some jobs and let's see where we go from there. But that in of itself is exciting. I am still around the neighborhood. I, I've told a couple of players that I definitely would be by to at least watch a game and take one in. Um, and if the opportunity ever were to arise, I would I would put the headset back on again for sure. So I still have my charts. I still have my information So for both teams. And um, I can always update them if need be, uh, if it ever came up, uh, because I'd love to I'd love to call one more game for, for the guys and the girls. Um, they mean a lot, and I and I would certainly take up an opportunity, even if it was for just one more game. I would I would take it up. Um, but I, I think I'm gonna land somewhere. I, I think something's gonna fall through. I, I feel pretty good about it. And bottom line, it's it's exciting, and it wouldn't have been possible without Franklin Pierce and without Franklin Pierce hockey. Because really, that's where when I look back at it, however far I get that'll be where it all started for me. All right, Ty. See you later. Ezra, thanks for having me. Always great to talk to you, my friend. All right, bye. Big thank you to Tyler for coming onto the podcast and talking to me about his time at Franklin Pierce. It was an absolute marathon of an interview. I think it, it totaled out at 57 minutes. Uh, it's It's Never going to be limited when you get two guys that have broadcasted so many games and spent so much time together uh, in the car and and just going to games and and creating memories with each other. So uh, a long interview. If you listen to the whole thing, good for you. Um, But uh, something that we didn't talk about beforehand that I think he did a really good job of shedding light on is how invested broadcasters and and media personnel for teams are in uh, to the teams and into the season, into the games. Um, we might not be on the ice in games and during practices and we're not at workouts and we're not on the long road trips in the hotel. Uh, it depends on what um, level you guys are at, but um, we might not be there, uh, but we definitely are putting a lot of hours in, whether it's the SID or it's the, the broadcaster or someone who runs social media accounts. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into it, and I, I had the pleasure of, of seeing it from both a player's perspective and a media personnel's perspective. Um, and it's pronunciation charts. You have to learn the names and how to pronounce them for all the opposing teams. You got to get cheat sheets going, game sheets going for not only your team, but visiting teams. You got to get statistics down pat. You got to watch other games going on in the conference and for your team if you can't be there and go back and look back at old notes and do a whole lot of game prep and and don't get me wrong, there are those broadcasters that show up 30 minutes before the game time, and they leave 30 minutes after the game ends. 
and that's all the, the effort that they put into the game. But you've got broadcasters like Tyler, uh, myself. There's this guy out in Utica. Uh, I think his name's Ray, who, who he seems to be doing a whole lot uh, with, with Utica and what they're doing out there with their program. There's a kid who's got a D1 college hockey podcast that he's doing a lot of work with where he's got, he's got interviews going every day. So, again, just next time you see your broadcaster, just realize they're, they're putting the hours in too. They might not be on the long road trips and, and at the workouts and on the ice, but trust me, they're, they're awake at 4 o'clock in the morning recording the outro to a, a podcast. They're getting game sheets ready and, and learning names and, and doing their homework, right, watching tape and, and getting ready and getting prepared, doing prep work for the start of the season and, and uh, for, for game time. I can tell you, all of my game sheets are already ready. It's it's the end of September. Our first game isn't until the middle of January, and all my game sheets are done for Franklin Pierce, for all the teams in the conference. Same thing for the NEWHA as the NE10. So uh, that's going to do it for Episode 6. Uh, my, my little rant is over, but uh, great end to the, the MASCAC season preview with the, the last three teams in their conference. A great marathon of an interview with Tyler Arago. So episode seven, it will be out next week. We dive into a brand new conference. Don't know what conference it's going to be yet. It might be a little bit of a surprise, but we're going to have a great interview with someone associated with that conference. Uh, and uh, yeah, so make sure you listen in. Give us a follow on, on social media, Instagram and Twitter, at College Hockey Pod. It's at College H-K-Y-P-O-D. Make sure you share the podcast with your friends. We want to get this listenership up to as high as possible and, and try and reach as many people as possible. So give us a follow Instagram, Twitter at college hockey pod. And until next week, enjoy your week. If you're Jewish, happy holidays. And uh, we'll see you next week.